Welcome to Grace in the Shadows with Dr. Jonathan Beeler and Dr. Marla Beeler. Doctor, doctor, give me the news. I got a bad case of loving you. Oh my goodness. Yeah, what are you doing? Corny, little corny. Yeah, just a bit. What's today's topic, Marla? We're talking about marriage. Marriage. Yay! What's your first uh, question that we have today? Oh, let's go back to the beginning, not to the back, not back to our beginning of marriage, but back to the very beginning of the world and talk about when marriage began, when marriage, the family unit was formed. Very good. It's interesting. When we look at Genesis chapter one, uh, in the beginning, God, that word for God is Elohim. And the it's kind of interesting because the M means a plurality. Uh, and the L is meaning him, a singular. And so we see that God himself is a plurality within one, uh, a unity, and which implies that God is triune, even in Genesis 1. Father, Son, Holy Spirit, three persons, one God. And as we get in here, God created man in his image. He created him. And so we even see in marriage and the family, the glory of God revealed uh, through marriage. The unity physically, emotionally, spiritually, uh, and it, it's, it's, it's very God-exalting, and that's precisely why I believe the enemy is attacking marriage ruthlessly today. So where was the first marriage? Who was the first marriage? Well, the first institution that God created was not government. It was not Washington. It was not the Supreme Court judicial system, but it was marriage between a man and a woman. Because God created marriage to reflect the unity within the tri Trinity, uh, the oneness, and also to procreate uh, godly and righteous children for his glory. So the first marriage began with Adam and Eve. Ah, Absolutely. Okay. And God created the world. It was beautiful. There was no nothing that was uh, evil, no pain, no suffering, uh, no nothing, nothing, uh, no divorce. Mm. And so uh, had lions and tigers and bears. Oh my! Oh, my. And they didn't eat each other. They didn't attack. Yeah, all the all the the we no weather problems, no hurricanes. It was beautiful, perfect in every way. So what happened there? If everything was so perfect. What happened was literally in Genesis 3, all hell broke loose. Oh. We had uh, a renegade angel from heaven, come Lucifer, mm. who came down and possessed a serpent, an animal that God created. And it was uh, probably lizardish. Yeah. And it had legs. And, and, uh, and he talked. He talked to, we know he talked to Eve. He said, Did God really say? And so, you know, it's interesting. John Calvin believed that uh, possibly prior to the fall uh, that uh, maybe animals could speak. Wouldn't that have been really cool? You could sit there and have a conversation with an animal. What if we could talk to our dog, Cy? He would say, feed me more. <laughs> and, he <would> probably, <laughs> and he would probably say some other things. Maybe about how strange we are. <laughs> oh, no telling what he would say. No telling what he would say. But anyway, so the snake talked to Eve, and what did he say? He said, did God really say? And that's exactly what he still says today. Mm -hmm. He says that uh, to get us to doubt uh, uh, as Christians. Uh, 
to get us to doubt absolute truth and to get us to doubt what marriage is. Mm. We live in a society that doesn't even know what uh, gender they are. Sure. And that is that is the foundation. Genesis, the first eight chapters of Genesis is the foundation to biblical Christianity and truth. And, you know, uh, if you don't have those foundation of what marriage is and creation and, and where things uh, came from, you have no foundation. Very true. So Eve took... So Satan came to Eve mm. as a servant and told her to eat the fruit. Mm -hmm. Was that an apple? Most likely wasn't because we knew things were perfect and uh, that, that perfect fruit probably isn't in, a, in, a, in existence right now. Probably not. Now, why was Eve standing over there talking to the serpent by herself? Where was Adam anyway? Adam was uh, who knows? Fiddling his thumbs? Maybe. And he couldn't have been too far because right after she ate the fruit, right, she gave it to him. And he just said, well, if she's a goner, I might as well join her. And that began such awful the fall, basically, and the, the destruction of marriage. Yes. The roles, well, you know, Satan's lie that he told Eve was she would become like God. God is holding back something. And so basically within the foundation, within the function of marriage, God created the roles. Not that Adam is superior to Eve or Eve is superior to her, but to complement each other in love and as a puzzle piece, pieces, putting together for God's glory. And so when this occurred, pride came and this desire to be independent of God. And with that independence or, or moving away from God's perfect will for their lives, we have conflict. Mm. Conflict that we want to be our own God, our own, own boss. And even though Adam wanted to be the leader, there's times Adam didn't want to be the leader. And I think it, husbands today, they want to be the leader and they're not the leader. Uh, we, uh, wives today uh, want to be the wife, want to be this uh, uh, submissive, gracious, uh, nurturing uh, person within the family dynamic, and yet she wants to be leader. Mm. And we have this conflict which creates uh, creates friction, creates miscommunication, creates chaos, creates division, and creates divorce. Well, we've never had any conflicts, have we? Ah, oh, thou shalt not lie. <laughs> uh, yeah. Oh, well, we did, especially, I, it seems like when we got, well, when we got married, like we talked last time, um, I was 28, you were 27, and we were kind of set in our ways and used to living alone by ourselves, and then you become married and you live together and you find out each other's faults, not that I have any faults, right? Oh. <laughs> I'm kidding, I'm kidding Quiet, Yes, quiet, yes, quiet, yes quiet. And we ended up Because I would sometimes want to do my own thing And um, that was one of my concerns Before we got married Is that I was set in my way And our uh, marriage counselor Talked to us about that And he actually explained What submission really means It doesn't mean that the wife is a doormat It doesn't Absolutely. mean husband is telling her everything to do and she has to do it and she has to keep a house clean and the meals and all that stuff no can you tell me what submission means well submission in this in this area is a submission graciously unto the lord 
It's a graciousness serving and submitting out of love uh, and devotion. Mm -hmm. It's not slavery. Right. It's not abuse. Matter of fact, it doesn't indicate anything about the husband. Matter of fact, it's the opposite. In Ephesians chapter 5, it says, Husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church and gave his life for it. So I, I think the big onus is on husbands, and it's not the other way around. And it's not cruel. It's, it doesn't justify abuse, like our secular society tries to say. Right, because if the husband is being loving, the wife is going to be gracious, and it's going to be a good marriage and a good example to others as well. What's your favorite thing? You like to say that the husband is... The husband is the head, and the wife is the neck. And then the head doesn't go where the neck doesn't turn. <laughs> absolutely. Absolutely. And yeah. we do compliment each other. I mean, I feel like we have a strong marriage and we do compliment each other. And, and as we've grown in our marriage with each other, um, we've grown together. I used to be extremely introverted. I'm still very introverted and you were very extroverted. But as mm -hmm. we have you know, gone through our marriage, we've kind of become more like the other. So I'm a little more extroverted, not much, and you're a little bit more introverted. But I just think that we complement each other now. And um, because we have that relationship and we pray together and we read the Bible together and doing things like that, I think bring, brings you closer together as well. In marriage, I think the greatest, when I see my clients, uh, you know, clients, as far as marriage goes, have their priorities out of whack. True. You know, uh, whether they're, some people don't even have Christ even on the equation. Uh, and even Christians, you know, they get married, it's just, they're almost uh, infatuated with each other that God is like, is like number two or three, mm -hmm. and he needs to be number one, and then your spouse, and then your children, and then everything else. And, 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 and even then, God is number one, but he's also in number two. He's in your marriage. He's in your children. He, you know, and I think uh, it's making God in every part of your marriage is critical for, the, for God being glorified and your marriage being successful in the evil world that we live. And I do know that there are times when we're not praying together and we're not spending that time together with the Lord like we need to. And when we have times like that, you know, your marriage doesn't seem as strong because it's not because you're not depending on that foundation mm -hmm. of your spiritual walk with God and with each other. And so I, I know it's important for us to do that. Now, we don't have like hour long prayer sessions, not that there's anything wrong with that. Um, sometimes we have very quick prayers mm -hmm. with each other. Also, sometimes, you know, we're apart from each other and maybe are struggling and we send each other a text and say, hey, please pray for me. And just knowing that we, we've got each other's back, knowing that we pray for each other when we're together and we're praying for each other when we're apart. And it's just a phone call or a text away and that we're uplifting each other. It's very important. And uh, we also will talk one day about how when you bring children into the equation, sometimes priorities can shift and things. We're not going to talk about that today, but sometimes that can cause issues and problems as well. And when we look at this, you know, marriage at its perfection was in Genesis chapter 2. And then we see marriage in the fall. But at the end of it all, in Revelation we know the marriage supper of the Lamb. Mm -hmm. Christ did not use any other illustration, but marriage itself 
for his return with his church. And I think that, you know, when we look at our society, uh, besides, you know, Israel being a sign of the end and, and all these others, I believe that one of the signs that the end is near for, for, the, for Christ, for his church, is the love of many are growing cold. Over one, one over two people end in divorce and marriage. And I think that's devastating to the family dynamic. It's devastating to society and devastating to the church. Absolutely, because the husband and wife re uh, relationship is representative of the church. And when that is broken, it's not, it's not good. It's not a good relate. It's not a good example to the world. So I think as we go through this in the future, we're going, you know, communication and, and not running from conflict, but using, allowing God to be part of the, the, the solution, not the problem. And, uh, you know, within Genesis chapter 3, uh, the conflict between God and, and the family, God, God ends up uh, giving them a promise in Genesis chapter 3, verse 15, that uh, he was going to bring a Savior, uh, that Jesus would come, uh, the seed of a woman, and he would uh, be, his heel would be bruised, meaning he's going to be on a cross. But he would stomp on, he would crush the serpent's head. Paul says we're all going to crush his head someday. And, uh, and so we see victory. And so I think when we learn to uh, handle conflict with God in the equation in a constructive manner, conflict can become a blessing. And God can take our mess and turn it into a message for His glory, for our good. I agree. And you may be listening to our podcast today, and you may not know the Lord as your personal Lord and Savior. And that is the best decision you could ever make, to have Him as your personal Lord and Savior. And you want to tell people how to do that? Yes. Uh, it's not about work. I mean, there's not one good work that we can do. It's the work that Jesus did. Jesus came, born of a virgin, uh, fully God, fully man, lived a perfect life. He understands suffering. He was a man of sorrows. He was, uh, he was made fun of, poked of. He was abused. He was physically, everything you can imagine. And he went to the cross and he took your sin. Uh, he paid for it once and for all. And in so by grace, by believing, and by having faith that he did this for you, you can be a part of the marriage supper. Mm. You can be a child of the king. And that by dying, he showed he was a man. By rising from the dead, he shows he's God. And therefore, his grave is empty, and he's coming back someday. I believe soon. Absolutely. So accepting that. Asking it into your heart as your personal Lord and Savior. That's the best decision you'll ever make. And you may be also listening today. You may be a Christian and you may be having struggles in your marriage. Get together. Start praying together. Start reading the Bible together. Start uplifting each other rather than tearing each other down. Be there for each other, but definitely depend on God to heal your marriage and pray for each other. And we're going to, I'm going to be, we're starting a, a pastoral counseling business. Uh, I'm going to be doing individual counseling uh, with uh, anxiety, uh, bipolar, depression, uh, OCD, and also marriage. Uh, and I intensive, uh, just regular counseling. And in some, my wife and I, uh, we're looking to do some uh, conferences as well in the future. 
for marriage. And so those are some things that we're looking for in the future. We're going to continue to do our podcast. And I hope you guys have a very blessed uh, rest of the day. Bye, everybody. Bye.